saw in the video, it honors all the workers, those who have labored to make our country great, right? To do all the things that need to be done to advance us as a nation, uh, so on and so forth, right? Question I have for you this morning, when it comes to your labors, when it comes to your work, what are you working for? What are you working for? Do you work to provide for yourself and to provide for your family? Do you work to acquire the things that you want to acquire when you go to work? I remember that, you know, you could probably answer that, that question by your age. Remember when you got your first job, the whole point was so you could buy clothes, right? So like you didn't have a car, most of us didn't have a car, right? So you just work so that you could go buy clothes and then you'd go to work all day just so you could look nice when you go to school and stuff like that. I ain't gonna point any fingers, but some of our young people, that's all they work for. <clears throat> but you wanna have things so you have to go to work to get them, right? Do you work so that you can do what you wanna do and go where you wanna go and go on those vacations that you wanna go on? All those things I think are good and they're godly. I'm not, I'm not gonna talk down. I think we should provide for our families. I think we should want to have nice things. We should want to labor to get what we want. We should put it into our minds, say, I wanna go somewhere and it's gonna have a cost associated with it, so I'm gonna work and labor and save so I can do that. I remember when I went on my first mission trip, that was it for wasting money for me. When I realized you could go across the world if you didn't eat at In-N-Out every week and you didn't buy clothes all the time, that you could actually take those same finances and see things you've never seen before. Ever since then, literally, I've been all over the world. Why? Because I'll save that money when other people are doing things, right? And I'll be kind of upset watching all the stuff you post, right? Like, dang, I want to do that. But then when I'm gone, I'm thinking it was well worth the wait, right? So labor, and you work for the things that you want, to do the things that you want to do. And that's godly. It doesn't make you selfish, right? It doesn't make you... Uh, uh, unspiritual, it's a principle God has put into place, right? You reap what you sow. Somebody say amen. amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. If you will not work, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you don't provide for your kids, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you don't take care of your spouse, husbands and wives, you're worse than an unbeliever. God says labor. Say labor. labor. Say work. Work. Say labor. labor. Hey, look, we're going to have a long morning if I don't hear some more voices. Say labor. labor. Say work. work. Praise the Lord. Shoot. It's worse than an unbeliever to be lazy. It's worse. Get off of welfare. It's there for a reason. When you have lost a job, when you get hurt, when you get injured, you get onto those things because you've invested into them. But if you've been on it too long, get off of it. Go to work. Labor. Take care of yourselves and take care of your family. That's not really the message, though. The message. <laughs> the message or the question this morning is whether or not the Lord is a part of the work you do. Does God just receive an occasional thank you, Lord, for this job? Many of us know that, right? Like, you be upset and kind of frustrated at work sometimes. And, and every now and then, though, like, God hits you in the heart. You're like, oh, Lord, thank you for this job, though. Because I sure could be broke, and I sure could be poor, and I sure could not have groceries, I sure could not have gas. So even though I may not love this job, right, thank you for this job, Lord, right? So I think sometimes many of us will be comfortable or we'll even feel good about that. Like, hey, we, we humbled ourselves a little bit and we remembered to be grateful. But there's a whole other level of, is the Lord actually involved in the work you do? Every month or two, thank you, Lord. Every time you give your tithe or your offering, you might say something like, Lord, thank you for providing these finances. But that's different than him actually being involved in the work. In preparing the message uh, for this morning, I realized how many of us, not only do we not know the origins of Labor Day, many of us have significantly 
uh, limited God's involvement in our labor. Right? So we don't know where we get a, a holiday like Labor Day, but at the same time, is God involved in your labor every single day? The job that you have now, the career that you may want to have, the career that you may be in already, is he actually involved? The title of the message this morning is called uh, Labor of Love. A labor of love. John 3.16, most of us know as the love scripture, right? You don't have to be a Christian to know John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? So that shows God's love. He loves us so much that he would give his own son for us to be able to have life. John 3.16. Well, here's Genesis 3.16, and this is where we get labor in the Bible. The labor scripture. Our spiritual labor day begins. Genesis 3.16. To the woman. Say woman. Woman. <laughs> there we go. Say woman. woman. Steve, you're supposed to say it up here. He looked right at Liz. Woman. <laughs> say woman. Woman. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, in your conception. In pain you shall bring forth. To bring forth is to labor, right? In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. You're going to have a boss. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you've eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. That doesn't even make sense, right? The ground has been cursed, but it's for your sake. We'll get there. In toil you shall eat. That means toil. You have to actually do something. You have to labor. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Right? So you have to be doing some pulling of weeds, and you're also going to have to be careful as you uh, 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 work your fields, as you labor, right? All the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. Our labor started with sin. Because sin enters into the world, because Eve made a decision, because Adam made a decision, all of a sudden there's this labor and this burden that is placed upon our shoulders, right? In pain and in toil and in labor, you're going to bring forth children. You're now going to have this headship uh, 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 relationship and authority over us, like many of us frustrated with and struggle with when it comes to our jobs. Right? With Adam, he says, you're going to have it by the sweat of your brow. If you won't go out and flip burgers, you won't have a burger to put into your own mouth. You better sweat, and that's how you were going to receive. Labor begins. We're supposed to live <clears throat> our lives, or we were designed or created to live our lives with a labor of love. Right? All that we were going to do, everything that had to be done, we were supposed to do it in all of our creator who even gave us labor to do. We were supposed to do it in awe that he would give us a body that could actually do things and a mind that could think through work. And we were supposed to do whatever we were called to do and able to do in this labor of love like, oh God, how did you give me this to have dominion over? How did you give me this family to protect? How did you give me these crops to, to sow into and to receive food from the earth, right? And that was going to continue to grow. He said that he was never going to limit us, so we would still be in a society like we are now, but it would have been a labor of love. How many people actually labor in love? How many people jump up out of bed before the alarm goes off and gets in the shower and says, I can't wait to go to work today. I'm going to see my boss. I'm going to see my coworkers. I can't wait to lift somebody up. Matter of fact, you know what? I'm making too much money. I'm going to tell the boss to give some of that to somebody that's not making enough. Does that sound like where any of us work? 
That's what it would have been like if we were laboring in love for the Lord. A life without sin. When God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, the Bible says that he placed a flaming sword and an angel at the entrance into the garden for two reasons. One, to protect the garden, what God had created and established, right? To protect it from the effects and the impact of sin, right? That we would like to bring into that place. And also to be able to show us the way back to that place. Because at some point he knows we're coming back. Somebody say amen. amen. It would be really terrible if he shut that door and nobody could ever get back. What he's saying is you got to get with that sin and stuff. That stays outside the camp. There will come a time where we can deal with your sin and you can come back into the camp. So here's this flaming sword. The Bible says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Like Gary said earlier, man, see what happens when you read it for an hour and a half? He says, I'll show you the way back. We'll leave your sin on the outside. We'll bring you back in and we will come back into this right relationship where you can live as you were created to live. All right. This morning, what my hope is, is that in the area of labor, God will do this bringing back of us so that we can see it how we're supposed to see it, do it how we're supposed to do it, enjoy it how we're supposed to enjoy it, live it how we're supposed to live it, and it can truly become a labor of love the way that God has, has provided. Even in the midst of a fallen world, you know, uh, the testimony, thank God for the couples. We had an amazing time ourselves. Usually we're here, we minister, we talk, we pray, we counsel. I was trying to beat everybody in bowling. It ain't show friends, it's I came to win, all right? So it was great just to be able to hang out with you guys and, and enjoy our time together. Uh, but being, being together and doing things the way that God designed them to, to be, we still live in a fallen world. We still have drama. We still get in arguments amongst couples. We still have all the same issues, right? But we get a glimpse at like, man, what did God really create marriage to be? What did he really create fellowship to be? And we begin to see some of those things. It's the same thing in labor. It may not be like it was supposed to be in the garden, but it can definitely be better than the testimony of, of what non-believers are able to experience. If our testimony when it comes to our labors and our work is the same as those that don't believe, it's our fault because we're missing something God has given us. If we sit around the, the cooler, if we sit around on our breaks and nobody would tell who the Christian is because we all talk the same and we all act the same and we all say the same thing about the boss and we all complain the same way, then we're not, we're not tapping into what God says labor can be like for us. And that can change this morning and I, and I hope it changes for some of us. It's already, be, <clears throat> it's already begun to change for me. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning <clears throat> for all of your gifts, Lord. All of the challenges, even as, even as you told Adam that it's for his benefit that he has to toil. It's for his benefit that there are uh, weeds and thorns, Lord, that will make him to be careful, that will make him to be considerate and aware of what he's doing and how he's laboring to be able to receive without also being hurt at the same time, Lord God. I pray that you would open our minds to what we may have seen before this morning as difficulties and burdens and trials and tribulations and attacks from the enemy, Lord, that we might be able to see them as ordained by you and positioned in our lives to help us to grow, help us to know you even better, Lord God, that we would leave this place, Lord, as employees, Lord, as laborers, as those who are in the workforce, Father God, uh, and begin to have a labor of love because we've been changed and we see things differently, Lord God, that you would be able to do something for us that many people go to their grave, many people go into their retirement, never, ever experiencing, Lord, something that you say is available to us from this day forward. Have your way over us. Open our hearts. Open our minds. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Psalm chapter 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So we labor in vain. We go to work in vain. We defend the increase that God has given us. If we put a watchman on the wall to protect what he's given us, all of that is in vain unless the Lord is actively involved, consistently consulted, and obeyed when it comes to our labors. God says, look, you labor in vain if I'm not building it, which means that you can go to work all you want, but if you don't take me with you, you labor in vain. If you don't involve me in what you're doing and the decisions that you're going to make, you labor in vain. Even when you have increase and you put a watchman on the wall to make sure nobody steals from you, you watch in vain if, it's not, uh, if I'm not the center of what you're doing and what you're experiencing. We think about that a lot when it comes to the church. Those who have ever been in ministry, you understand, man, you're up early, you're up late. You think about people, you sacrifice days. You do all that kind of stuff, and then you like to say, well, look at what we're doing, and look at how hard we're working, and look at all the labor that we're doing. But God says to me very often, well, look, if I'm not involved in it, you labor in vain. If you're just doing what you think you should be doing instead of doing what I told you to do, you labor in vain. You'd be better not to do anything than to do what you want to do without me. God wants to carpool with you to work in the morning. He carpooling with you in the morning? Because you labor in vain if he's not involved, right? When you get in the car in the morning, or when you got to fight traffic like me, I go all the way to LAX, I curse the 105 freeway. In Jesus' name. <laughs> may it either crumble or may it build a second deck on it, but I can't stand it. But he wants to carpool with me. He wants to share a cubicle with you. When you're at work, is he there? Is he right next to you? Are you talking to him? Are you praying? Do you have your worship music on? I had to go buy a new Bible yesterday because there's been two or three times the last couple of weeks where uh, I go into my backpack to grab my Bible. I'm out somewhere. I carry my bag with me everywhere. I go to grab my Bible. It's not there. Why is it not there? Because I got tired of being in my office and going to grab my Bible, and it's not there because it's in my backpack. <laughs> So I got one in my office here at the church, I got one on my desk at work, and I got one in my backpack as of yesterday because I went to buy another one because whenever I get a minute to spend with God, I want to spend it with him. What's on your desk? Who's in your cubicle? Does anybody know that you're a Christian? The things that are important to you, people should know without even having to talk to you. If you walk into my little office area, there's a big old picture of Mary's face plastered on one wall and there's a Bible on the desk. Don't ask me what's important to me, that's my wife, don't talk to me. That's my Bible. Yes, I'm a Christian. You can, you can know it before we even have to talk. That way you have an expectation of what's going to come out of my mouth, and I have to be accountable for what comes out of my mouth. Don't get me started this morning. Say stick to the notes. The Lord wants to crack jokes with you in the warehouse or by the water cooler. Right? We should be having holy fun, not that other kind of fun, right? So we talked about all of us going out, playing pool, talking trash, bowling with each other, eating, having a good time. The Lord is not like, he's not a prude. He's not, it's not like he's like, oh, God, are you guys having fun? <laughs> you should be cracking up at work because the, you and the Lord are just in conversation, in communication, in communion. He should be there with you. How, how could you be with Jesus at work and behave the way that some of us behave as far as being upset, depressed, frustrated, angry? and at each other's throat. What that means is that he ain't there with you. Right. He wants to dig with us and shovel with us. You ever been shoveling or working hard? Like, it, it could be literally shoveling or you could be uh, in a, an administrative position doing paperwork and you look and it's like, how come ain't nobody else doing anything? 
You know the feeling. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Right? You know you're working hard and other people are not working hard. Jesus ain't like that. If you look over and you're shoveling and you're sweating and you're filing and you're printing, Jesus is right on the other side, shoveling and sweating, filing and printing. Like, hey, let's do it together. Amen. When you're ready to take a break, I'll take a break. But we feel alone because he ain't there with us. He wants to go into every meeting with you. I pray before I go to meetings now. It doesn't matter if it's a small meeting, one or two people. It doesn't matter if it's a big meeting where I have to speak or I don't have to speak. I pray before I go into the meetings. Just, Lord, be with me. Let me say what you want me to say. Let me respond how you want me to respond. Let me just be aware that this is more than just a, a place that I work. Like, you are with me. I, I, whatever it is, if I sit here quiet, don't say a single word. I just want to pray before I go into this meeting. And you know what that's begun to do? I felt God telling me this last week, you need to pray every room that you go into. Right? I'm at the gym in the steam room, and I'm praying for the people in there. Instead of thinking about, like, what you would normally be thinking about, like, who smells in here and... <laughs> You know, who, whatever you're thinking of, Jim, I'm like, wow, let's just pray. Let me just pray. Let me bring you with me, right? Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says, Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. He's talking about your boss. He's talking about the people that you work for. Not with eye service as men pleasers, right? Don't be a butt kisser. Don't be the one that's just doing it so everybody can see that you love the boss and the boss loves you and you bring them an apple like they're the teacher. You buy them lunch. He says, not with eye service as just a man pleaser, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. That's crazy. It's only crazy because most of us don't do it and we don't experience that. He says, whatever you do, do it heartily as if unto the Lord and not to man. That's the Bible. That's the scripture. That's God telling us how we're supposed to behave at work. Do everything the best that you can all the time with a great attitude, really wanting to do what's supposed to be done and pleasing your boss and those that have authority over you, doing that from your heart, not just with your outward actions. And you need to do it as if you're doing it for God. You know, it's a lot easier to work as if unto the Lord if the Lord is actually with you. Does that make sense? If he ain't there, then it's like, man, I ain't going to do this for the boss. But if Jesus sat in right next to you and he's like, you, you know what I said in Colossians. Then it's a little bit easier to be like, yeah, Lord, you're right. What can I do for you, boss? How can, is there anything extra you need, boss? Is there anybody else? When's the last time you asked a coworker if they needed help? But we're Christians. I'm guilty too, church. Not after today, though. Things going to change around here. See, we've all heard this scripture, but I think the way that we look at it, we look at it as a challenge to be a good example of what a Christian should be in the workplace, right? We look at that scripture. I, I used to have that one posted on my desk, too. So there's a picture of Mary. There's a picture of the kids. I had a, a big picture of the scripture that said, do all things as if unto the Lord, but I had to take that one down because I couldn't do it. <laughs> I was like, look, if I ain't going to do it, I ain't going to post it up here. But we look at that as a challenge, like, oh, I should be a good worker because I'm a Christian and people should be able to say, look at how he works and look at how she works. They must be a good Christian. But if that's all that, the only way that we look at it, then we're missing so much of what God's really trying to teach us about a labor of love. Let's read that same scripture with the next verse attached to it. Colossians 3, 22, bondservants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as if unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. See, we fail in this area 
We consider it just a challenge to be a good example, and we don't see that what we're supposed to do is have an understanding that there is a gift and an inheritance that comes along with it. If we knew that there was something coming along with it, not only would we be laboring a little bit more effectively to receive it, but we would be anticipating, well, what is that, Lord? I wonder if anybody could testify what the inheritance you've received for being a laborer who does the right thing for the because you're a bond servant to those authorities over you and laboring as if unto the Lord. I wonder if any of us could really testify and say, I've been doing that and I've been doing it so long and let me tell you what the inheritance is. Amen. Who can get up and testify about what that inheritance is? Who can get up and tell the rest of us if we do it, here's what you'll receive? How do we have a church full of people and nobody can do it? See, the Bible talks about us being saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony because when you've experienced the blood of the Lamb washing you clean and you have a testimony about what it feels like to be forgiven of your sins, you're able to go to somebody else and say, let me tell you that this is more than church. Let me tell you that this is more than just accepting an idea about a man on a cross. This is the power of God that can come into your life and remove all sin, wash you clean, and promise you eternity and confirm it for you on a daily basis through the Holy Spirit who will come and live inside of you. That's a testimony about what you have inherited from Jesus Christ because of his, his uh, sacrifice for you. We should be able to give the same kind of testimony about what you've inherited for being a good laborer. But we can't. We should inherit some joy, some fulfillment, some impact. We should inherit this spirit of loving to labor like it was meant for us to be in the beginning. It doesn't matter what we do if we have this kind of understanding, right? It don't matter what kind of job you have, it matters who you are that goes to do that work and to do that labor. I do believe that we'll start to consider what we do, whether or not it's worth our life and whether or not it honors God, right? So. We've seen people that used to bartend. We've seen people that used to, to sell all kinds of stuff, used to work for um, shipping companies for, for uh, alcoholic beverages, and they've left those jobs, not because they, weren't, they didn't work hard, but they said, you know what, if I'm going to do something in my life, I don't want to be a part of this. I just don't want to get people drunk, have them paying me and giving me tips, and then watch them get into their cars. I don't want to be responsible for shipping what destroys so many marriages and so many families and so many young people's lives. I don't want to be responsible for shipping that just to gain a wage, right? So there should be some wisdom in what we're going to do. But at the same time, once you start to consider if what you're doing is, is, is worthy of God and not dishonoring to God, then it, wasn't, it won't matter about your title or your position or where you work or whether or not you're noticed or not, right? We understand that we have an inheritance from the Lord. We can be anything. Right? We don't care if we're, if we're the CEO or if we're the janitor, right? We can have a labor of love. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him who stole no longer steal, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Look at on top of all that, God says, Go to work, get a job, and on top of whatever you're going to receive, you might actually be able to give somebody something who's in need. I don't know why we live in a world where kids nowadays don't get jobs till like after high school. The day I turned 15, I had a job. And I wasn't allowed to not get good grades. Like, and I didn't have a car, which means I had to get a ride to go to work. Like, come on now, what, what is going on? Our kids don't know how to labor. And then they become adults who don't know how to labor and don't want to go to work. And don't want to provide for themselves or provide for others. 
God says, you, the, we've got it twisted. You should want to go, and you should go, and, and those that have a need, you should be helping to meet that need. I remember even when I first got a job, family lost everything, parents split up, went, went separate ways. I was in 10th grade. I had to go start living with friends just to finish high school. I had a job living at a friend's house who didn't have a job, so his mom would, thank God she let me stay there, but I, I always think back now, like, was that weird for her? to watch some kid that everything's falling apart leave every day to go to work while her son sat on the couch? That's gotta be strange. As an adult, I think about it now. I didn't think about it as a child. Proverbs 28, 27 says, he who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. I think it was Pastor Larry, years back, he came in and, um, He's the president of the Praise Chapel. He said that this is one of his life scriptures. He who gives to the poor will not lack. He says he always gives. We ain't talking about his tithe because that belongs to God. He's talking about offering. Thought about this earlier, you know, like, like we mentioned, we want to we wanna bless somebody to be able to go to financial peace. Mary and I, we tithe into our home church here, but there's been times where we've done, what's the one? Um, went to the concert, Mary. They, they do uh, World, World Vision right, for the homeless kids and for the hungry kids. We've given to missionaries who are in Egypt, not just because Mary's Egyptian, but because we went there and we saw the poverty, that there's third world countries. You guys are, all of us, we're spoiled here. You got a refrigerator, you're spoiled, right? So when we see those things, you feel compelled to give to the poor and to the needy. And there's this tension between God saying it's okay to labor and to, and to, to reap the, the rewards of that and to reap what you've sowed and to have blessings, but at the same time, you better be a, have a heart that considers the poor and to be a blessing. I'm going to ruin everybody's Monday off. We're going to have everybody calling the boss. Can I come in? Like, just look. Can I just come in today? Pass it a mess it all up for me. It gets better. Say, Lord, help us. What I really want to spend the last few minutes is contrasting this labor of love that we're supposed to have with the promise of rest from our labors that God makes to us. So I said, it gets better. There should be a labor. There should be a labor of love, and there should be an understanding. But God also promises us rest. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, you know, again, Gary talked about them going into captivity and Abram having to go and get Lot and all the people and bring them out of captivity. What it means to be taken into captivity, you become a slave. You become the property of somebody else. And this is where Israel finds themselves in slavery, captive to King Xerxes, because what, what always happens to believers is when you do not honor God and involve God, you are taken into captivity. You are given into the hands of the enemy. And God, throughout Scripture, over and over again, he tells us that. He shows us that right now. They're in, uh, under King Xerxes, the Persian Empire. Before that, they were in Egypt, right, under Pharaoh. And even now in 2017, many of us are held captive to the enemy because God is not first in our lives. And we don't honor him. So what that does is allows the enemy this opportunity to come in and take hold, take authority in our lives. So that's where the children of Israel are. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 it says, It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine, I gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. You ever been sad, frustrated, angry, or got an attitude on your face in the presence of your boss? <laughs> Can any of us say that this morning? My boss has never seen me upset. My boss has never seen me with anything but a smile. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Is there anything else I can do for you? Nehemiah could. 
I've never been sad in, the pre in his presence before. Therefore, the and he's a slave, mind you. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, why do you, re or excuse me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, right? He brought God into the meeting with him, right? He's meeting with the king, an unbeliever, his oppressor. And he says, before I respond, when I have an actual chance to make a request, I'm going to pray and ask God what to say. I prayed to the God of heaven and said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. I want to labor. He says, I want to labor. I'm hurt and I'm broken because the city of God, the people of God, God's church is broken down and burned and I want to go rebuild it. I want you to send me into a labor of love. As the cupbearer, Nehemiah's job was to risk his life several times a day to test the king's wine to see if it was poisoned. You think you got a bad job. That's his job. Every day he wakes up, king's ready for breakfast. Nehemiah comes running in, where's your orange juice? Grabs the cup, drinks a sip, and if he falls down and dies, he knows that the king's being poisoned, the king won't drink it. If he lives, he gives the cup to the king. Lunch bell. Dinner bell, that's his job in the world to serve a worldly man just to make sure that that man can continue to live and to risk his life every day to do it. But he does it with a smile on his face, never sad before the king, and when given an opportunity to ask for something that he wants, what he wants is an opportunity to do what God would have him to do. Labor Day. <laughs> Let's just enjoy the day off. Let's just hit the beach brings a new perspective to laboring as if unto the Lord, if you ask me. It's easy to say, well, I would do that for Jesus, right? If Jesus needed a cup bearer, all of us would be ready to sign up. I'll drink that, Lord. If I die, you're going to resurrect me or send me to heaven. You need a cup bearer, Jesus? I'm here. But Jesus says, no, I want you to do that for the person you hate the most. And the boss that you can't stand. You make sure that they continue to be able to do their job and that they look good doing it. We might have to lose the recording of this one. So Nehemiah was so faithful in his worldly labor that he was granted the freedom to go and do his labor of love for the world, or excuse me, for the Lord. Think about that. He was so faithful in his worldly labor, what he had to do every day, nine to five, his regular job, he was so faithful in it that what God did with that faithfulness was give him an opportunity to go and do what he wanted to do in the kingdom of God. Many of us have jobs that we think prevent us from doing what we'd like to be doing for God. But I think we need to realize that the two are more closely connected than we think. Yeah. Right? We say, if I didn't have to work, I could do this for God. If I didn't have overtime, I could show up every Sunday. If I didn't have to work the night shift, then I would be there for Wednesday night Bible study. We say those things, but what the scriptures actually say is that your job, God is going to use as a tool for you to do what he needs you to do in the world. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. 
What that means is this. You can work for somebody that doesn't know the Lord. You can work for a company that doesn't give to charity or doesn't give to the kingdom of God. You may not work at a church, right? You can work wherever you want to, but the wealth of those sinners is stored up for the righteous. You take those resources and you pour them into the things of God. You take those resources and you go on mission trips. You take those resources and you send young ladies to go off for a year and do the will of God, right? The same money that was the wealth of the, of the sinner is now being used for the kingdom of God to advance. But we're frustrated at work. And we're angry at work. And we're tired at work. I think something might be physically wrong with me because I'm tired at work. But as soon as I get off, there's a bolt of energy that just comes over me. <laughs> I can't think at work. But as soon as I get off and I start thinking about what I want to do with the family and with the kids and in the church, all of a sudden there's juices and energy and vision and destiny. And it's like in the morning, it's like, oh, it's time to go to work. Let me turn that off. Let me turn that off. We should look at that so different, like, wow, you're going you're gonna to pay me this wage, and I'm just going to use it for God. I know you don't even like the fact that I'm a Christian. I'm going to use it for God. I'm going to use it to make sure that my family can eat. I'm going to use it to make sure that we have a home, a table to sit on and eat and talk to my children. When you want to make it hard on me and you want to make me do more work than other people, right? You don't want to acknowledge me when I do do a good job. Don't even worry about that. Here's a smile on my face. You know why? Because every time when I cast that check, matter of fact, I'm going to start sending you pictures, boss. Here's my family. We sat down at the table. And we talked and we prayed. And if it wasn't for this job, we wouldn't have a table, we wouldn't have food, and I wouldn't be able to teach them about prayer. Man, it could be a labor of love. Nehemiah chapter 2 goes on, verse 11. It came, so I came, he says, to Jerusalem, and I was there for three days. I arose in the night. I had a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one I rode on. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate, right? The serpent's well and the place of all the trash. And I viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. When we come into the church, church, listen, I think... I love all the churches that really love Jesus, and I know that there's different levels of, of what a church might look like, but I think it's awesome to be able to come into a place that's clean, thank God to our cleaning crew, that has air conditioning when it's 110 degrees outside, right? That's not filthy and our kids can eat, all that kind of stuff. I think it's wonderful. But as a member of the church of God, when we look into the world, what we should say is, man, look at what's happening to the church. The walls are burned down. It's under attack. The enemy is, is, is picking us off one by one. That's what Nehemiah is, is saying here. He says, I physically am looking at a city that's falling apart, that's supposed to be the city of God, and I can't let that continue. I have to labor to see it changed. It's the same thing today. Don't let the, the 70, 69 degrees fool you. There's labor to be done to see change for the advancement of the kingdom and God's church. He says, it was broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. I went up by night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate, and so I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. 
Then they set their hands to this good work. He had a normal job. He had a regular job. He had a worldly job that he did with honor and reverence unto God, right? And then he says, but I have some work to do in the kingdom. I have a labor of love to do. I want to inspire other people to labor with me. He showed them and gave them vision. They said, well, let us rise up and work too. Let's get to the labor. Most of us see it as the world drags us down, our jobs drag us down, and it's more than you should even ever ask me is just to show up to church. Now you want me to show up and actually labor too? If we get to the end and we never labored for the Lord at all, I mean, isn't that a sad testimony? Never took out a bag of trash, never cleaned a restroom, never refilled the coffee, never handed out a flyer, never washed down the kids' room, never prayed over prayer requests that somebody else went out and evangelized and got, never called somebody that was struggling, never, never sponsored somebody that couldn't afford to be somewhere. How can you never labor for the Lord? Never. And think that we've somehow done enough by giving him our time to show up at church. Man, we need to see the roots of Labor Day. <laughs> labor Day is the day off for laborers. We're almost to the getting better part. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 16 goes on. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Of Judah. Those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. And we're separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, or God, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work. This is a description of somebody who has a regular job, has labor for the Lord, says I have to work with one hand and defend the enemy with the other hand, Amen. right? I have people that are guarding the work to make sure that the work can get done. And since we know that we're all working and that the enemy can attack, he says there's a trumpet. If you hear the sound of the trumpet, where are my fellow laborers in the kingdom of God who are under attack? And let us rally to them to help them. What is our vision of work? What is our vision of labor? We've been sold a bill of goods. We've been sold some lies about work. We've been sold that lie like, man, it would all be better if we just hit the lottery. Let me, go get, let me go get that ticket. See, this would be a great place to end this morning, right? I just tell you, use the worldly labor to advance the kingdom of God. It's going to resource the work of God. Find labor that you can love and then fight to the end doing it. What do you want to do in the kingdom? What do you want to do for God? What do you want to see happen? Pick up a sword and fight. Make it happen. Do it. Work hard and die doing it for the next 10 years if you got them, 50 years if you got it. Let's go. <laughs> but like I said before, God also promised rest. Because that's how I get. Or that's how I used to be. 
I'm just I'm down to fight and I'm down to work and I and I, I want to take ground and I want to push the enemy back and I want to get all the inheritance that God has for me and I'm just looking for other people that want to fight who wants to fight who wants to get down and dirty who wants to get into the mud who wants to really fight for your marriage instead of talking like you really want to who wants to really fight for their kids instead of acting like you want to but you ain't really involved and intentional when you talk to them who wants to really see what God can do? Well, then let's roll and let's, let's make it happen. And I would do that for like six months or nine months or a year and a half, and then I would physically fall down and can't even talk or speak for like two or three weeks. And then when, as soon as I get my energy back, let's do it again. Who's ready? I lived my first probably eight, nine years of my salvation that way. And then angry with everybody else, like, man, how come y'all don't want to work? <laughs> how come y'all don't want to fight? How come you don't actually apply the advice that's been given to you? What it was is, is that I didn't understand the rest of the Lord, right? I didn't understand the promise of rest from our labors. <clears throat> and I didn't understand that even when it looks like we're doing all the work, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain, right? Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, Jesus, say Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, right? The prerequisite is you have to be laboring. You can't come and ask him for rest if you ain't laboring. You should take notes. I want to see everybody look down and write that down, put it into your, your little phone book. You can't ask for rest if you ain't working. Hey, boss, can I get a break? A break from what? <laughs> what were you actually doing that you need a break from? Jesus says, come to me, all who labor, and if you're heavy laden, it's more than you can handle, come to me and I'll give you rest. Later, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which means, hey, there's going to be a burden put on you, but it's going to be the perfect burden, the perfect labor, because I put it on you. Whatever you're carrying right now, you might be carrying your boss's burden. You might be carrying burdens that you think I want you to carry, but I don't really want you to carry them. Come to me, I'll take all that off of you, and I'll give you one that's fit for you and perfect for you. That's the call that I have for you, and then you can do a labor of love. Hebrews 4.1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering God's rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. It says, look, there's a promise of rest. Don't miss it. Don't be like PV was and just going out there working, 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 working and missing the rest because you didn't actually hear the message that I said. He said, there's a promise of rest. Don't, don't, don't spend your whole life and your whole Christianity working and never getting the rest. Where is the rest? The rest is in the gospel. The problem and mistake that too many of us make is we begin and then we continue in labor without it being rooted in the gospel. We come to an acknowledgement and understanding that maybe we are lazy and maybe we are selfish and maybe we do need to do something for God and we just start laboring, but we didn't build that labor upon the foundation of the gospel. If you understand the gospel, you can labor in love and you can labor uh, and get rest. If you don't understand the gospel, you'll wear yourself out and you'll wear everybody else out too. In Jericho, Joshua has this victory because of his battle skills and because of his labor and because of his willingness to fight. Hebrews 4, 8, though, says, if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his works. 
Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. There's a rest after Jericho, right? Jericho represents the battles that you cannot win on your own, that God has to win. The ultimate of those battles is your salvation, forgiveness of sins. So God comes in and says, I'll fight that battle. I'll take care of that, right? I'll give you victory. And then after Jericho, just like Joshua, now it says that there's a rest that you need to enter into. And many of us have missed that step. We have to take the land. We have to protect our borders like we talked about in our last series, right? There's more ground to take. There's more labor to be done. But we have to rest from this feeling of laboring to earn something from God. Before we knew God, we used to try to be good people, and we worked hard at trying to be good people, and we'd apologize when we did stupid things and sinful things. It's like, God, look at what I'm doing. Look at how hard I'm trying. I'm working. Save me. Help me. And then when God comes in, he says, listen, it don't matter how hard you work or what you do or how good you are. You can't do this on your own. I'm just going to give it to you. Here, it's free. Take salvation. Take righteousness. Take forgiveness. Right? And then what we're supposed to do is say, okay, then I'm going to rest from that. Never again will I try to earn something from you that I can only receive from you. But you know what we do? We say, now I'm going to show people that I deserve what God gave me. Now I'm going to work hard, I'm going to do righteousness, I'm going to do good works, I'm going to go on outreaches, I'm going to be part of that cleaning ministry, and now I'm going to earn the ability to keep the blessings that God has given me. And God says, no, I created in seven days, oh, no, I created in six days and then I rested, right, because that work was complete. When it comes to earning what matters most from God, the work is complete upon salvation. You don't have to do another thing, and it, you, whatever you did in the past, it didn't help because he had to give it to you. And whatever you do after, it won't help because you already have it. Amen. Rest. You don't have to earn anything from God. Amen. The people who do ministry and do ministry well and are fulfilled in ministry and last and make it to the end like Paul did at the end when he said, I've run my race, I've kept the faith, I've never quit, I never turned back, are the people who realize that they're not doing it to earn anything. They already have everything they need. Amen. It's already been given to us. Here's a picture. This is, uh, I hope you got it. Did I give you that picture? Did you get it, Raymond? Go ahead, put it up for us. A break from what? Just, just kidding, brother, just kidding. You guys get a break from, from hearing me. Sorry, right. if you don't have it, you don't have it. We good? I'm just going to tell you about it. How many of you guys remember uh, Publishers Clearinghouse? Right? You'd be watching Jeopardy. You'd be watching, like, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden, the commercial would come on, and it'd be that dude and three or four people jump out of a van. They go running up to the door, and the lady comes out. They're like, this is Publishers Clearinghouse. You just won $10,000 every week for the rest of your life. And she falls down crying, and all of a sudden, there's like 18 people in her house come running out. And they put this check in front of her that says 10000 every week, right? And then they ask, like, you know, well, what are you going to do? What are you, you going to do now that, that you don't have to go to work, now that you could retire? What would you do if you no longer had to labor? Because you were going to get $10,000 a week for the rest of your life. When I read through the bottom, it says, uh, and at the end of your life, you could pass it on to somebody else. Publisher's Clearinghouse. Super lotto. <laughs> 
Mega millions. Think about it this morning. What would you do? You don't have to go to work tomorrow. You can tell the boss how you really feel. <laughs> the world's at your fingertips. Do what you want, go where you want, buy what you want. See, many of us have made up in our minds like what we would do. I would be this kind of person. I would go there. I would do that ministry. You ain't going to be here every Wednesday and Sunday. You ain't even got no job. That ain't an excuse. You ain't going to be here. Because if you ain't here now, you ain't going to do it then. You ain't going to give to the poor. Because if you wouldn't give when you, God says, we learned on Wednesday night in Matthew, since we've been there a year. Thank you, Gary. On Wednesday night, on Wednesday night, God says, I gave one five. I gave another two. I gave another one. The one that had five, they turned into ten. So I gave him more. The one that had two, I gave him, he turned into four. So I gave him more. The one that had one, he didn't do anything with it. So that's going to be taken from him. What that means is if you ain't faithful with a little, you will not get much. And if you do get much, it comes from the enemy and not from God because God won't get the glory and it won't advance the kingdom. Which means this, you can get that 10,000 every week, but the kingdom's not gonna benefit from them because it wouldn't benefit when you only had 100. The issue is not having, not having enough resources, the issue is our hearts. The issue is our hearts. So what would you do if you no longer had to labor because you're gonna get this 10,000 every week? After deliverance from Jericho and sin, gospel makes it clear how deep and how high, how far and how wide the love of God is. This is what the Bible teaches us, is that upon salvation, you become rich beyond your wildest dreams. Way richer than 10,000 a week. Think about that for a second. What God says is, when I come into your heart and I deliver you from sin, and I break the bondage and I set you free from your oppressors, you are now rich beyond your wildest dreams and imaginations. And what you then do tells us what you would do if you were rich. <laughs> if you hit the lottery, if you got the publisher's clearinghouse, what you've done since your salvation shows what rich people do. I'm rich beyond my wildest dreams and imaginations. I never have to pay for sin. So why would I be working for a wage when I've inherited riches? What I need to be doing is participating in the labor of love. Some people say, oh, I, I want to be a medical missionary. I want to open a hospital. I want to take care of orphans. I want to, like, whatever it is that you want to do, God says, well, you're rich. You can do whatever you want to do. Go do it. Well, if I can't do it full time and all that, no, 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 no. <laughs> if it's in your heart, go do a labor of love. I'm going to close with this last scripture, Luke chapter 10, verse 38. We get into the New Testament with Jesus. It says, it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She and her sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. A lot of different aspects of a labor of love in this, in this scripture, and love itself, but it's misguided and it's immature. Jesus always shows perfect love. Say amen. amen. So he, Jesus comes into a house that's willing to open the door and welcome him. That's love. And then once he gets into the house, he shares his word with them. That's love. Right? That's how he loves us. If you, if you open the door, he comes in. If you open your ears, he'll speak to you. It's that simple. 
But then you have Mary who appears to be lazy because she ain't doing any work even though there's work to be done and she's just sitting at Jesus' feet hanging out. While Martha's like, can you move your feet so I can vacuum, please? Can, can, you, can I just set up the table so I can bring the food, please? She's laboring. Why is she laboring? Because there's work to be done. The house needed to be prepared. The king's coming over. The food needed to be cooked. The king's going to be hungry. People got to be served, right? Just sit there and enjoy yourself. Let me, let me come and serve you. There's work to be done. There's a scene in, in one of my other favorite movies, haven't seen it in a while, but Goodwill Hunting, right? So Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are at work one day, and, and uh, Matt Damon saying, you know, I don't want to move on from here. I like construction. I like working with you. I want to come here every day, and I, I, this is what I want to do. I don't know anything more to anybody. I'm going to come here. We're going to raise our kids. In 20 years, we'll still be working together, and, and we'll be raising our kids together, going to the park. Like, all right. So then, so then Ben Affleck looks back at him and he says, look, if you're still here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. And so Matt Damon's like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Like, look, there's no reason for you to be here with me doing this labor when you are capable of doing so much more. Like, get out of here. You're a, you're a genius and you're working construction when you should be out changing the world somewhere, not hanging out with me here doing this kind of labor. And I thought about it with, with Mary and Martha, like that's, that's a movie and these guys are, are like rough, rugged construction workers from Boston, but he was showing more real love to Matt Damon in that scene than Martha showing to Mary in the Bible. And then you and I typically show to other believers. When we look at them and say, well, why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing that and why aren't you helping me? When we should be saying, go do your labor of love and fulfill the destiny of God that he has on your life. Martha is sitting there saying, there's work to be done for the king, and I'm doing it, and I want you to help me. When she should be saying, look it, she's with the king. She's at his feet. She's hearing his word. She's doing what it is that she's supposed to be doing. That's the labor of love, and this is just regular labor. Tough for ministry people, all right? Tough for those that work in Christian facilities to be able to separate what's, what's labor and laboring even for God and what's a labor of love and what's sitting at his feet. For us, the last thing that, that, that Ben Affleck said to, to Matt Damon, he said, look, bro, you're sitting on the winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. You're scared to be rich, and then go out into the world and see what you can do with your riches. You're afraid. I wanna say the same thing to a lot of us here this morning. If you're saved, you're sitting on a winning lottery ticket. You got riches beyond your wildest imagination and you need to get out there into the world and do a labor of love. Not because you have to earn anything because you already have it. And not to prove anything because God's saying, I, I gave you the riches and then I'm giving you the field to go and do whatever you want to do. Go wherever you want to go. Minister however you want to minister. Sin whoever you want to sin. Love however you want to love. But go and do it. Sit at my feet. Listen to me speak into your life. And then go use the riches that your father has placed in your hands. Yes. Hebrews 4.1, since a promise remains of entering that rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to fall short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. 
You have a promise of the rest of God. You have an opportunity for the labor of love with God. You have the gospel to build all of that on. And now all you need to do is go. I'm going to continue to ask you, not what would you do if you hit the lottery? What would you do if Publishing Clearinghouse showed up at your door? I'm going to ask you, what are you doing with the wealth that God has already given you? Let's stand. We're going to pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for Labor Day. We thank you for Labor Day weekend. We apologize that we've turned it into just a day off, Lord God. That we've, we've stayed on the surface, Lord, where it's just an opportunity to, to hang with friends and hang with family, Lord. Even in, the, even in the sense of just looking back at our nation and seeing what it took, what people had to risk, what they had to lose in order to get us a Labor Day. And to, to look at our working hours and working conditions, Lord, the lives that were lost and the people that were, were made sick and made ill, Lord. The families that didn't have benefits, Father God. All of that that took place so that today we can have insurance. And we can have a 40-hour work week, that we can be paid overtime, Lord God, that we would get PTO and vacation and sick days, Lord. People had to fight for that, and people had to die for that, Lord. So we want to honor them and their sacrifice, Lord. But more than anything, Lord, we want to honor you for giving us life, giving us bodies to do labor, giving us minds to think through and to be uh, creative, Lord God. Ingenuity, Lord God businesses that we can actually go to and and produce resources and income, Father God, providing for families. All the wisdom that we have, it comes from you and the minds that you created, God. Help us to go into our workplaces with a smile on our face, with your joy alive inside of us, speaking to you in our meetings and between our meetings, Lord God, before we enter into the workplace, before we get on the road to come home, Lord that we'd carpool with you, Lord, that you'd be with us always. Lord, we pray for a labor of love in your kingdom that we would do something, no matter how big or how small, Lord. It's not about notoriety. It's not about earning anything, Lord. It could be the most minute of ministries in the world's eyes. But you say every part of the body is worthy. It could be on the grand stage of the world, Lord. It can be under attack, even right now, Lord, as there's a damage in our nation from a hurricane and flooding from this storm, Lord, that a church would be under attack for not doing enough, Lord. It doesn't matter what stage we're on. Let us just do a labor of love, God. Let us do something. Because we have all these riches, let us use them, Lord. If you're here this morning and you're poor in spirit, I talk about you being rich and you don't feel rich. I talk about you having a father in heaven who is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who created wealth itself. If you don't know that, God, you don't know that wealth, you don't know what it feels like to be free from your sin, free from your addiction, free from the bondage, free from Satan. He says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. Anybody who opens, I will come in and I will dine with them. The same way that Mary and Martha were in a house, he did that. He said, I'll come in and dine with you. You can sit at my feet and hear my word. Let it wash over you and cleanse you, help you and encourage you, empower you and fill you with my spirit. He makes the same offer today because he's the same yesterday, today and forever. He says, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If you open, I'll come in. If you're here and you haven't done that and you want to, raise your hand. I want to be saved. I want to know the king. I'm poor, but I want to be rich. 
I'm lost, but I want to be found. I'm in darkness, but I want to come to the light. I continue to make the same mistakes, but I'm just tired of laboring. You cannot work hard enough to get in. You just have to accept the gift. Anybody else this morning? Just raise your hand where you are. The heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. It's between you and the Lord. Raise your hand. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We see you. Anybody else? You don't have to work to earn it. It's yours. It's a free gift. Anybody else this morning? Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Mm. Lord, we thank you for that salvation. We thank you for somebody, Lord, that on the outside seems to be laboring and seems to be working and seems to be doing things for you, Lord, in honor of you. But the honesty this morning to say, while I've been working, I've been working to earn something that I can never earn. <laughs> it has to be given. We thank you that that individual is willing to receive. Now we pray that you would give him rest, that he would never again try to earn what he's been freely given this morning. Let him build all the labor that he does in the future upon the truth of your gospel. And let him use his riches wisely, Lord God. For the rest of us, before we receive communion, I want to open the altar. I just want to pray for anything labor-related. If you're here and you need a job, if you need a better job, if you need uh, a raise, if you need a better attitude, if you need your boss to be touched, if you need coworkers to be blessed, I want you to come quickly to the front. I want to pray with you, and then we're going to receive communion. Anything work-related, uh, I want to pray. Hallelujah, Lord. Lord, you're the God of every job. You know every business, Lord. You saw their plans before they submitted them to the patent office, Lord God. You know every product. You know what's organic and what's not, Lord. There's nothing that gets by you. You know what's going to happen, the end from the beginning. You know our career next week, next year, a decade from now, Lord. We call upon you to help us. We call upon you to minister to us. We call upon you and ask you to give us vision for when we go in and out every single day, every single week. We ask you to help us with the resumes that we send out, Father God. We ask you to to help us in our education and preparation, Lord, for the next job that's ahead of us, Lord. We pray right now that many of us would become the bosses, Lord God, that we would become the CEOs, Lord God, that we would be the ones that would lead others and be good stewards of your resources and your finances, Father God. Let us be the bosses that we wish we had, Lord God. Let us bring others along with us, Lord, as we increase, that they would increase as well, Father God. Let us not forget the poor, Lord that you've blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others, Lord God. We pray over these workplaces. We pray over these bosses, Father God. We pray over the whole environment, Lord, that when we come into the place, that we would bring you with us, Lord, and that you would shine your light in the darkness, Lord, that no longer would these places of work be a place of negativity. No longer would these places of work be a place of, of, of frustration and anger, Lord, and attitude, Lord. We pray that you would change the atmosphere. Before we even get there, your word says that you go before us, Lord. Go into these places before us, Lord. Shine your light. Take dominion over those places, Lord. They belong to you, and we dedicate them to you this morning. Our co-workers, Lord, our work vehicles, whatever it is, it's all yours, and we give it back to you this morning, God. We ask you to be involved. If all we said is, Lord, thank you for the job, and thank you for the check, that is not enough, Lord. We make a, a commitment to change that right here and right now in this place, Lord, that you would give us rest, but we know we have to labor first. You say, come to me, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, and I'll give you rest from your labors, Lord, we promise to wake up when we go back and to labor and to work hard and to overcome our attitude and our frustrations, Lord, working as if unto you, God. But give us the rest that you promised us. You're faithful and true. You would not lie to us, God. You do have rest for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we receive communion, those who are here, those who are in your seats, as you get ready to go and receive your communion, we sit at what's called the Lord's table to receive communion. Think back to Mary and Martha in Martha's house, Martha and Mary's house, and there's Jesus sitting at the table, and there's one resting at his feet. There's one working, and God says, cease from your labors. Sit at my table, stop working, and just commune with me, dine with me. Take what I have and get it into you. Let it seep through your ears. Let it go in through your mouth. Let it permeate you from the inside out. Take more of me, take more of me, take more of me. There's nothing special with this bread. There's nothing special with this juice. What's special is taking a moment to realize that Jesus still cries out to you right now in this moment, take more of me. Take a, take a, take a break. Rest from your labors this morning and just let me in. 